Greetings, friends. I am coming to you from Venice Beach, California, where I am working on a new film project with some close friends. I will let you all know about this project in the months to come. But it's been a blast. We have been ideating, ideating, coming up with lots of ideas and uh, lots of laughs, having a good time doing it. This conversation is with Shems Hartwell. Shems is a guide and facilitator who specializes in personal and relational empowerment. His work goes to the core of what is needed for embodied transformation by integrating the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and sexual. Shems is the real deal. Uh, I've been working with him semi-regularly for the past six months, and um, fucking dude knows what he's talking about. Super helpful. And uh, I hope that you all get a ton of value out of this conversation, as I did. Um, Shems is really good at talking about issues from the 10,000 foot view and then zooming straight into um, what you can do today to work on your relationships. Um, I love people like that. Those clear communicators. So uh, I recommend you get in touch with Shems. I will link to his bio below. Um, And of course, thank you to everyone who donates on Patreon. This is an ad-free podcast and I rely on people like you to keep it that way. So big thank you to everyone who donates. You can click the uh, link below the bio on your phone or head over to my website, kyle.surf to donate. That's also where you can check out the book club. I put a a bunch of my favorite books um, up on the site and all my documentaries are up there as well. So without further preamble, please welcome to the show, Mr. Shems Hartwell. Kyle Cameron here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. So is this your van mm-hmm. out here? And you're going down to Big Sur and then down to Santa Barbara yep. from there. Mm-hmm. Super cool van. Oh, that's been my van for maybe 10 years now or so. And I keep it here. So when I'm in California, I have uh, surfboards loaded in it. I have two guitars, a lap slide and a regular guitar. I keep it at my father's house. So I have this little home on wheels with warm, you know, cold weather clothing, the warm, my warmest stuff. So I can get the best of California and Hawaii together in some ways because I have good friends here in Santa Cruz and, and in other places up in Mount Shasta and... Yeah, it's smart to know uh, which stuff you want to keep where. I find that that like my goal over the last year has been to systematize my kits as much as possible. So I have my camping kit. I can get out of my house in probably twenty minutes with all my stuff. It's in one box out down to Big Sur, up to Northern California, and I just try and make it as easy as possible on myself to go on adventures. I'm with you. That's the highlight of where you live. A place where Big Sur is just an hour down the road or an hour and a half, depending on traffic. And to have that quick in and out and that you could change gears and do that, to me, that's true luxury. Yeah. And anything you can do to declutter your life, that's that's the key. The less you, or it's this, what's the saying? The less you have, the more you live. 
Yes. Otherwise, those possessions begin to possess us as far as how much time they take to maintain, take care of, store, work with. Yeah. yeah my van's like that. It's minimalist. I built a bed in it. I have Tupperware bins that I can cover so I can, I can leave with clean sheets and it all sealed up. Get in that van, land back in, take Bart from, you know, Oakland to my father's place, be in my van and go. I like it. Yeah. I just got um, a liner for my sleeping bag. I got a really nice new sleeping bag, but the issue that I've always had with it is that I get sweaty at night. Mm-hmm. So it's a cotton liner that goes mm-hmm. inside the sleeping bag and then I can just wash that. It was kind of a game changer. I got a silk one of those maybe 10 years ago, and it was a game changer because I'm not against nylon anymore either. That little bit of natural fiber is a little less irritating too. It's those little things that bring so much. Like, I'm not a big fan of stuff, but the stuff I do own, I want to fucking love. We're so fortunate, huh? Yeah, man. <laughs> cool. So uh, down to Santa Barbara, are you working much on this trip or is this... I- I am. I have some client sessions throughout my journey, both um, in person as I see people. And then I have some online clients that I'm working with ongoing that I have a program kind of like what we did. We did a program over time. So I have some client sessions like that. And I'm preparing to get married to do a wedding with with one of our spiritual mentors, kind of a blessing more than a wedding in some ways, having her blessing of our love. That's the primary reason for the trip. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be interested to hear your perspective on marriage. Yeah, that's a good big question to jive into. <laughs> We're going straight into it. You know, the healthiest way I understand marriage is that I'm committing to continually grow and deepen with my beloved. The unhealthy side of marriage has a lot of, you know, these belief systems and cultural agreements of like, till death do you part, and this is how it goes, and then there's, there's just a lot loaded in it, right? Yeah, all of our problems will be fixed now. Yeah, it's a fairy tale illusion. In fact, when you get engaged, like I am, it's like it turned up the heat. So even right now, as we're approaching our wedding, there's been more friction than we've had for the entire four years we've been together. Not fights, but things coming up around, oh, I want this wedding ring and it costs this much. And I'm like, <gasps> okay. <laughs> and, and I want the wedding to look like this. And I'm like, can we just have it simple with 20 friends on the beach? And she's like, no. <laughs> so those things kind of come up. But even just the, the energetics of making this bigger choice and commitment, I think life is like this period. Whenever I make a commitment to whatever it is, like I'm committed to taking this journey around the world or to step up in my work this way, it seems like we start to hit a bit more of the resistance. So marriage is like that too. Like that deeper commitments, like anything that's not been brought to the surface between us gets amplified. Yeah. It's a bit of the hero's journey. As soon as you commit to the challenge, then all, then you start getting tested. Exactly. These layers come up and then, you know, what marriage really is, is a continual recommitment. I might have attraction to another woman. She might have attraction to another man. There may be things that come up for us and we continually commit to re, you know, feeding the fire here, you know, bringing our attention to the relationship. Not that you can't have other things going on and high quality connections. However, if we don't know how to keep feeding this fire consistently, it's going to start to dwindle and change. And so marriage is this, I'm going all the way with committing with you and I'm turning my attention fully toward you. And that's how I see it. Yeah, that always made a lot more sense to me because we are changing always. Our relationships are changing always. So little ways that we can set up this kind of rekindling of the fire and re- and, and celebration of new commitments to each other has always made a lot more sense to me than one single event that will somehow change everything because now the government's involved. Whew. 
It's a good question too. I, I often encourage people not to make the government part of it at first. Do a marriage commitment devotion ceremony and let that part unfold. It's not like till this we sign this date and all of a sudden we got to go through all the hoops for the marriage part. It's, it's more of between us, community, family, being witnessed. That's the other element that's important to me around marriage is including our families to really see. And it's not just for us. It's for them. It's for, and it's for us to be held by our community. So last week, surprisingly to me, I had a couple good men um, in Maui where I live. They held a gathering for me of about 17 of my friends on Maui. And I didn't know about it till about four or five days before. And I, as soon as he told me, I was moved to tears for a moment. I just felt really honored. And it was even humbling, too, because when they had asked me a few months ago, do you want to do men? I was like, you know, you know, most of my really good man friends are in California or in different places. So, you know, I don't really want to do that. And then when I got to be in circle with these men, a couple things happened. One is I was looking around going, I got some really good friends. Wow. And so I was moved by that. And second, they all had the intention to challenge me with a question. So I was being honored and seen. And they were telling their story of how we met and how I know them. And then they went through this round of like, I asked one of the men who was taking the lead, I asked all these men to bring a challenging question for you about your commitment to this ceremony to your woman. And man, it shook me to the core. Like I was asked things of like, what are your partner's biggest shadows? And how do you see yourself growing with those and handling those, you know, what are the things that you don't like or do like? There were some big questions. And then what are things that I, that I'm becoming aware of that are going to interrupt the relationship? What do I know already of ways I don't, so man, it put me through the heat and then they laid me all down and put their hands on me and just blessed me and, and breathed me. But it was really powerful. It was like an initiation. Yeah. We really miss those initiations in our culture. And I think that as men, especially we subconsciously yearn for them. So whether that is testing yourself against the wilderness or Mm -hmm. it's diving into your personal shadows in a bold way. I think that our system isn't really set up for that anymore. And it kind of oozes out in unhealthy ways if we don't get it. I'm really with you. In fact, I have a big passion for this. I used to work with um, youth mentoring and doing these things called Boys to Men, which is a subset of the Mankind Project. However, in my own life, the lack of initiation had me have a lack of confidence, a lack of inner security. And even in the lineup surfing, I'd, I'd feel that little bit of less than, not quite good enough. Um, stink eye would, would like rock me to my core and my nervous system, you know, growing up around Santa Cruz. And it's, and it's rough here. It has been at times. And I, I'm a firm believer that we all need some form of initiation. And we have all these uninitiated leaders. Maybe they've made money in the world. Maybe they've been successful in their business. But actually, as men who've been, you know, challenged to accountability, are a lot of our big companies and corporations are, are led often by men who are uninitiated. Then we have men who are, you know, and it's really different. You, know, they, you can see that they include the whole community more fully, the people that they work with. There's just healthier structures going on. And, and I believe we, you're right. We do crave it. Yeah, yeah, you can feel it. There's a kind of grounded energy that people who have really done some shit with their lives. Um, and, and man, that's whew, going back to a circle of your best friends asking you the toughest questions. That's, that's tough, man. So, no. like, when, oh, I mean, would you be willing to go into any of those questions? Yeah, as long as my fiance is not going to hear this. Okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she, you know, the first thing I, she, I got home and she asked me, she said, so how was it? And I was like, told her a few things was really awesome. And then, then and I was like, one of the biggest things that they all kind of challenged me. And, and I 
made the mistake of saying, you know, one thing they asked me was about like your shadows. Right. And she was like, what you like told them? Like, what if that like gets back to their girlfriends? And I was like, (laughs) 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 so as you're asking me, I'm like, "Uh sure. Well, well, here I'm going to take, I'll um, be a little bit more specific with the question because I, I think that that kind of ties into something that you just said. And, and you mentioned earlier around being in a relationship with someone, but also being attracted to other people. So this is something that a lot of people are really afraid to even talk with their partners about. Um, and I think that there tends to be one of two um, kinds of relationships, and neither of which I think are very healthy. One is you don't talk about any of it, and you pretend that it doesn't exist, or you overshare. And you walk home and you say, hey, babe, like a super sexy girl at the coffee <laughs> shop. She, she was eyeing me. I was eyeing her. Like, we didn't do anything, but we knew. Which is like, okay, you're going to be in the doghouse for the next four days. So... What is the, what's the healthy way to do it? Because everyone has attraction to other people, and I think that a lot of relationships explode spectacularly because people kick that can too far down the road. Absolutely. This is good. You know, the f- most primary thing is that you're building a really strong emotional bank account of connection. So if I feel really close with my partner, in some ways she's got enough trust in me to have any of the experiences I'm having of attraction or let's say a wet dream, you know, about another woman can be really stirring to the her sense of feeling chosen and all that, even though it's completely natural. I'm a fan of authenticity. And here's where it comes for me. If I have a recurring attraction, someone I keep seeing, I do two things. One is I go to that person and I name it often. That's, I go direct to the person, I'm, especially if I'm working with them or there's someone I know, I go, you know, I'm noticing I'm having attraction to you and I want to just speak it so it doesn't grow in me in a way where I might act on it unconsciously. Whether that's by like self-pleasuring and fantasy or whether that's by some secret emotional bond. And then second is I'll go to my partner and say, hey, I've been watching this come up for me. Here's what's happening. And, and I say this because I want to be closer with you. I say this because you're important to me. And, and, you know, I really make sure that it's about the fact that I'm bringing it home because I'm committed here. Those are those are a couple directions I take it. How would you how would you bring that up? I mean, I think that part of it I'm guessing is you time it right, so it's not like, well, good night, babe. <laughs> oh yeah, I've been fantasizing about this other woman. Well, yeah. see you in the morning after Dream World. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Timing is essential. Timing and 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 true availability. You know, we often say hello when we don't really want it, or how are you when we don't really want to hear it. It's kind of similar. It's like if I'm going to drop a bomb of something that I have awareness of might lead to a feelings, emotions, reactivity, I want to set the stage for that first. Like, hey, I noticed I've been having something come up that I want to talk to you about. You got 20 minutes for us to really be with each other or are you juggling balls? And do I have that time? Am I available or am I going to watch you for the next texts that are coming in? Or can I really be with you for 10 minutes and ride this wave with you? Do I have time to go all the way with the wave? And so I'm a big fan of us when we're going to drop in about something or have a more of an authentic conversation and bring up something that we know is charged, that we set a container, you know, that we have a time container or something like, Hey, I I need 10 minutes to drop in and share something with you. Does that feel good to you? That's one way to prime it. The other is to, you know, be sensitive to reading your your partner's emotional level at that time, like how much stress they have going on in their life, what they're juggling, whether they're dealing with a kid and they're changing a diaper and they're already cooked. 
being able to, I, as a, I feel like as a man, we want to really be able to somewhat read and feel into our partner so we don't even have to ask. You know, that we have a certain sensitive awareness like, hey, this is a good moment. Yeah, if you're going to ask for a raise from your boss, you're going to wait until they're in a good mood. So why not take that same level of attention to your relationship? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and that's, you know, when I hear complaints from women about their partners, when I'm having individuals as a woman, it's that he doesn't really give me his full attention. Or he does when he wants to fuck. He does when he wants to have sex, when he wants me or wants something, or he wants to ask permission to go surfing or like go on a trip with his friends and he'll give me full attention. But overall, he doesn't give me full attention to really be with me unless there's some reason that serves him. Women crave men to like be more neutrally available where they're really with them and it's timeless for a moment, even if it's only 15 minutes, but there's a certain quality of timeless I'm with you. Yeah, so if you are available if she's available you sit down how do you i mean i think that what's important to recognize is that you're both shooting for the same goal Mm -hmm. right if you and your partner are on the same team you want to deepen your connection with each other so i think that just like i'll just keep using the the employer employee analogy even though i think it's not maybe the best analogy but like we both want this we both want success for this company like we both are heading in Mm -hmm. the same direction here so how can we support each other better to be awesome and kick ass right i think that just for both people to know that you're both heading north or at least you intend to head north that can be an important thing to to start with fully with you there in some ways i call that allyship that, that we're allies for one another because we ultimately want the same quality of connection. When couples are complaining about one another, when I kind of help dissect that with them, like what's really going on? What's the, what's the core want beneath your complaint or your frustration or your upset? Generally, when we get down to it, they want the same thing. They want to feel comfortable and relaxed around their partner, to feel close, to feel safe, to feel like there's enough relational security and that they get to be who they are. You know, that we get to follow our passions, live our dream. Right. And well, so the part of the part of you that you like. Yeah. Right. That's a big one is if if your partner likes aspects about you that you don't like about you, <laughs> ooh, you're in trouble fast. True. True. Yeah. So let's keep going down this narrative. One you're more, one more wave with allyship here. Yeah. And it, that's a recommitment process, too. You know, we talked about marriage and senses that. You know, we're committing to be on the same team and that might have to happen with your boss too. Like you may have be super pissed at your boss for not giving you the raise and for like taking you off a project you wanted and putting you on a different one because of his reasons. How do you get recommit then to ha- seeing him as an ally versus having a low grade frustration that never gets expressed that ends up being a little tension between the two of you that you don't even know that you're not being direct with. That's so common. Right. So how do you bring up conflict in a skillful way? Mm. first is the willingness to see your part in it like that's one of the biggest things that we often do is we'll we'll oversee why the conflict is because of what our partner said or is doing or not doing and that'll be really highlighted and we won't be aware of what's what am i doing or not doing that may be contributing to this upset 
because there's always more going on. So to be, have that willingness to, when I come and give you feedback about something you did or didn't do, that I'm also checking in for myself of, did I override something? Did I not say something? Did I, um, or did I say something and it actually was like a poke at you and it exasperated what you have going on that I'm upset about? So that's one piece. Yeah. Like Shems, when I told you that that turn you did while surfing was good for you, <laughs> did that offend you in some way? <laughs> Yeah, because I'm never going to turn like Kyle turns, especially when it's double overhead. Right. So do you, uh, do you name that first in a conversation? Do you find that it's, like, it's most helpful to take some responsibility initially if, you, if it comes from a real place? It can be. What I often encourage people to do is to speak what's called the unarguable truth about it. And the unarguable truth I learned from Gay and Kitty Hendricks, mentors of mine, is that we speak what's happening with us around it. Like what my body, like I got tension in my gut, my neck and shoulder tight, my jaw is tight. Like I'm feeling a little nervous about even talking to you about this. To start with something like that, which is an authentic experience versus you keep doing this thing. And I hate when you take out the trash or you don't take out the trash, whatever it is. If we go right to that, it doesn't work. But if I go, you know, I'm having the thought that this pattern keeps repeating about where I ask you to do dishes. Instead, you don't, you, you go and you watch TV. And if I start with that piece of like, I'm having this story in my mind about you, we've already dismantled a little bit of the first layer of reactivity. So the unarguable truth is physical sensations, emotions, or thoughts we're having about it, but we're not necessarily believing they're true. Because I think we all know that our thoughts oftentimes are a little colored and aren't actually accurate. But if we believe them and we direct them at people, usually we're going to create more of a tension or an argue or something they're going to defend, deflect, or have, you know, have a reaction about. Yeah, they're just going to pitch you their story. Yep. And defend like what you directed at them. So, you know, to get real practical about that, that might be, you know, I, I keep thinking that you that you're angry with me and that's why you don't do the dishes. I don't know if that's true, but I'm thinking that what's going on for you when I ask you to do something, you don't do it. I'm curious, like I noticed because I get tense in my belly about it. So learning to, to communicate in a way that's very authentic with like, here's what's going on in me and isn't just in the head. Because then we get stuck in the drama triangle, reacting at one another rather than getting to a place where we're allies for what we want. What's the drama triangle? Drama triangle is that we get caught in these roles. One being the hero. I'm going to save you and make it easier with the kids by doing more than you do and just taking care of everything, which people do. It's like the guy at Burning Man who always cleans the camp, but lets you know that he's make cleaning sure, the camp. Yep, he makes and sure that he gets attention he, for that. He kicks your tent in the morning after you've had an all-nighter and be like, hey, hey, just want to let you know, cleaned up the common area. Have a great day. Yeah, but he said that, have a great day, in a way that you know he didn't mean. And this is great about that because he requires you to be in the two other roles. So you might hear them and then you might go to Ville and go, hey, fuck off, man. Why are you being such a dick about it? If you're going to do shit, then just do it, right? Or you might go to the victim of like, oh, man. Yeah, there he is. He cleaned up. Oh, man, I haven't been doing enough. Like, I'm not pulling my weight. I'm slacking. Everyone's judging me for slacking. I'm such a failure. <laughs> so we get caught in these roles. And that's the cool thing about the drama triangle is if you get caught in hero, victim, or villain between these, when you're in one of those roles, you require people to be in the other two. 
So if I'm in hero, most likely if I'm trying to save you, fix you, make you be a better this, that, or whatever, you're going to either be a villain like, dude, get on your own fucking horse and stop trying to save me. Or you're going to switch over and go like, man, you're right. Like, I'm not very good at that. And I do need your help. And maybe you'll save me and whatever. Or if I'm in the victim, I'm requiring people to try to help me all the time. I just don't make enough money. I can't afford my rent. It's not going well. I'm like, ah. and then your partner, your woman's like, don't worry, honey, I'm making enough money. I'll help us out. I'll save you. Or they're like, yeah, why don't you just pull your pants up and get your shit together, right? So that's what we require people to in the, and then we'll stay in this drama triangle and we'll keep switching roles. Healthy relationship is getting off the triangle as fast as possible. That's it. Like truly, like the dramas that go on between countries or between family feuds, they're all based on positioning on the triangle and everyone loses. Whew, yeah. Here, here. How do we get past that yeah well i mentioned this whole about speaking <laughs> relation yeah. relationship wide and country wide <laughs> yes yeah, worldwide right yeah this is this is the one of the like we if we were saying that humanity is evolving hopefully we're evolving out of being caught in these roles and positions that are not necessarily intentional that we got caught in because we learned it because I was the big brother. So I just keep taking the hero role and helping my parents because I got divorced. And I unconsciously enrolled myself through that process that I've never become aware of. So I keep doing it in my relationships. Then I attract someone who needs to be fixed, saved or helped. Yeah. And then I get in relationship with them. And the whole key is life is asking us to evolve through this. Yeah. Evolve into a new identity. Yeah. Really. Because it, it can be... Uh, not fun, but comfortable to take one of those roles. You know, and they're only comfortable by familiarity. Right. Because they're really not comfortable. Yes. Yeah, I would say familiar is a better definition of it. Yeah, because the, maybe you had to take that role when you were six years old and your alcoholic parent couldn't get their shit together. So you have had to play the hero as long as you can remember. And you're more familiar with that than you are another way of being. You got it. The landmark form, forum, they call that the winning formula is that I learned a behavioral pattern that we often could call number one persona. I just go for that as a survival way of getting through the world and not realizing I have more colors and potentials for me to meet what's going on. It's like the nervous system being on autopilot. And a lot of what we're doing is we're being, we're being challenged by our relationships and life and work and business because it's reflecting where we're at and how we meet the world. It's asking us to evolve and believe in our capacity more fully. Okay, so how do you recommend that people identify it and um, any exercises that you recommend for, for people to move through it. And I mean, obviously yeah. it's not something that you fix once, just like a, you know, a psychedelic experience doesn't fix all of your issues, mm -hmm. but it can at least allow you to see the issues in a new light. And then if you're committed to doing some of the work years down the road, you reflect and you realize, huh, I don't do that as much anymore. You got it. I mean, the first piece is just watching the patterns we keep replaying and the other roles people end up in with us. If every time you're with your partner and they go into victim, there's a good chance you're heroing or you're in villain, that you may be playing a role. And villain isn't lessly bad. It's that we're, we're maybe the, because the healthy villain is a challenger. Right. You this know? is your friends. Yeah. They're, they're, so there's a real, they both have a positive and shallow side that, you know, the healthy victim is someone who learned the healthy aspect of victim is that we're growing through and raising our capacity. So watching what are the repeating cyclic patterns that happen with how you feel around your parents, your relationships, your boss. So is there a way that you consistently feel? And right next to that is what is the deeper core want that you're craving for yourself? For one, like, you know, I really want to be successful. 
I want to feel like I have the confidence to show up and work. Or, you know, I just want to relax and not try to save and help everybody. I feel like I just want some breathing room so I don't feel like I'm on all the time. That might be a little indicator that you're unconsciously enrolled in the hero and feeling obligated to help others versus doing it from your authentic, natural want. So do you recommend that people write down the desire below the identity? Is that a healthy way? Because I think that for, I mean, it, it could be hard to even name it initially for, for people. So how do you get past it? Like I was talking to Amy Baldwin on the podcast. She's a sex educator mm-hmm. about how a lot of our fantasies go back to these deeper core desires, like the desire to feel special, the desire to feel like you're the best. Um, and that can play out in fantasies about whatever. So I think that what you're talking about here is similar. I think probably they're connected to a similar thread because you know, if you think about it, sexual energy is our primary core energy. Like That's the creative force. Whether we're a musician or a passionate creator, we're running on sexual juice in some way, similar energy. So that's actually going to be the, one of the places where it will often show up too. If we have a need to be dominant, if we have a need to like play that out and, and play that, there's a way that we might be in the villain, villain a little bit and we're trying to make up for something that was an interruption in our early childhood, you know, some impact. And sometimes these are passed on. This is where it gets a little woo-woo. Sometimes these patterns are passed on generationally. What our great-grandfather did, we might do. There might be these, these like, you know, the epigenetic thing of passed down through our blood. We have these these ways of still working out what's gone with our what's gone on with our ancestry we're on the front line of that growth and our relationship is the ultimate re- like reflection of that i liked what you said about sexual energy being the primary energy i think that that is i don't, don't want to mix your words up but that was along the lines of what I heard heard you say. I think that a lot of people see sex and sexual energy as kind of this niche subject in mm-hmm. their relationship. And it's usually the one that people are most afraid to touch with a 10-foot pole. But, man, it really does play out in all other aspects of your life if you have a healthy sexual life or um, or an unhealthy one. Oh, Kyle, we could go really deep in this in some ways because sexuality and play are very woven together too. Like I wrestle with this neighbor cat a lot, get together and it'll start off so like playful and him tapping me and then, then I'll turn to those claws come out a little bit. Then it'll be this bite. <laughs> then it'll feel like we're exchanging sexual energy. And you know, a lot of reasons why we're so uptight as a culture is because, you know, sexuality is locked in behind doors and then there's all this porn amplification of it. Right. But then we're not really playful and there's not this realm that they can be together. The like joking, playing, playing feels like the separate category where actually that's the dance is that we have this full spectrum of our sexual energy can turn into playful energy and our playful energy can go real deep into this like sexual prowess, like a wild animal, like penetrating us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when we don't talk about it, it comes out in these really intense, dark ways and it's not fun and playful in the way that you're uh, talking about. You got it. And I actually think even if we talk about it, it may not get moved. This is the big leap too, is that we need to move it through our bodies. Not necessarily that we need to act out all of our sexual fantasies, but there's an energy in us that, that will not be moved through how we talk or what we talk about. There's an energy that needs to be worked through how we move in our bodies. Like as men, I encourage all men to find their primal wild animal and go run around in the woods. 
I mean, we get to do surfing and do things that really activate our body on every level. To get thumped by a set wave and be held under is such a stimulation that's so freaking good for us. But a lot of men, they're at their desk job. They go to the gym. They run on a straight treadmill. They throw some weights around. But they're not in this, like, primal thing that activates every single joint in the body and brings on something that actually is what clears most stress out of our systems. And so, but it's very related to sexuality. We'll have all these fantasies and thoughts and stimulations around sexuality and porn, all this high stimulation. We get in the bed with our partner and we do the same kind of thing every time. Like, okay, I just kiss her here and I touch her here. And there's not enough of that. So we crave it. That physical, totally full body engaged experience of energy. And that has us living in our heads. Whew. All right. So how do we get out of it? Yeah. This is it. I mean, this is the Let's key jump piece. off the triangle and into some yeah. wild, well, primal sex. One of the ways off the triangle. Start growling. <laughs> Absolutely, you know, like as men, if Shit's we're crazy, you ever, you ever, a bit, you, you ever fuck and like a noise comes out of you that doesn't come out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's breathing ways. The body moves, waves of energy come that, yeah, that's good. And I do a lot of breath work and I'll find that too. I'll have these sensations through my system by doing really powerful breathing through my body that like will surprise me. Different yeah. things. And getting back to getting off the triangle, because it all kind of comes back to this in some ways. One of the ways we get off the, the triangle is that we actually get up and move a little bit. We move our bodies and we get out of our heads. So if we're having a conversation, we're sitting down close and we're trying to stay still and look each other in the eyes and talk, it often doesn't go so well for too long. Like if we can get up and be like, hey, while I'm talking to you, I'm moving my spine a little bit and I'm noticing and being with my sensations in my body. Because as soon as I get really real with what's here, not my thoughts and stories about what happened or what's next or what I think you're having going on, but I'm really staying with what's happening in me and then sharing that with you. I notice this is happening and here's what's here in me right now. We're, we're bringing it to the present exchange of energy, connection, and communication. That gets off the triangle real fast. Yeah, and going back to what I was saying earlier, I think that in the past I've always, I've had kind of like a, a lawyerly way of talking about relationship issues. Like, all right, you're going to say this, then I'm going to say this, and I'm going to corner you here, and then I'm going to win and not get laid for a week. <laughs> Right, so this kind of goes back to like truly uh, recognizing that it's not a zero sum game. Mm. Yeah, and there's no win in relationship. There's no win, right? Yeah, if one person's really unhappy and there's a frustration, and you feel like you got your point made, you don't really win, right? You you pay a debt for that in some ways, as you just said, like a week of no connection, and then and then you're you're having to be extra nice, maybe to warm back up and rebuild some degree of like trust in you that you're really her ally right yeah the point i was making about that is that when i'm being lawyerly i'm in my head yeah yeah i think that just i think that women are tend to be way better than men at this but feeling it in their bodies and coming at something with a certain kind of connection and energy that is beyond intellect 100 percent. that's it that's that's in some ways if there was one piece that i'm helping couples do that may be different than therapy is that's it we need to get below the conversation to the actually the deeper conversations that's happening which is this exchange of love and energy and connection that gets disrupted by how fast our mind is moving 
It's like being out walking in the forest, right? You're walking through the forest and there's billions of things going on, you know, cells vibrating, wind blowing, sounds, smells, things like that. And if we're listening to our iPod and some music, we're kind of half-assed there. And we're craving nature and we say we love nature, but when we walk through the forest, we don't feel every step. We don't hear the bird that's 100 yards away. We're not aware of their calls and changes. We're, we're kind of numbed and dumbed down. And so that shows up relationally. It's the same thing. We're craving real connection, and yet we're in our heads not really feeling the pulse of our heart, feeling our genitals be aroused by just being in the presence of another and being able to relax around that versus having it mean something. So you're right on track there. This whole mind thing is such a distraction from what's real. Yeah. Dude, I turned my phone to black and white recently so that um, I don't see any of the colors, obviously, and it makes it way less addicting to me, for me. Mm. And I'll uninstall Instagram every time I don't use it. So I'll go like three days at a time without using Instagram. Then I'll reinstall it. And I find that I'm more easily able to think deeply about any one subject. Awesome. Yeah. And I, th- I think this is... One thing I want to just ask you about is that in the age of a million choices for partners, how do we move through that? Because, dude, the rabbit holes that I will go down on Instagram, I'm like, ooh, who the, who, who's this girl who liked my photo? Oh, who's her friends? Oh, who's her friends' friends? Then you like click back and you're like, Jesus, I'm like 25, 25 clicks down this rabbit hole. How did I get here? like checking out girls who I'm never going to meet <laughs> and like, I don't feel any better. Yeah. You said something about where well, there's a million options or something, right? Not that I do that. I mean, a friend, of does course that. you don't do that. I know yeah. that Mara would, of course she knows you would never do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I don't actually think we have that many options because you don't resonate with that many people. If you really like take a time to really check in. Is this person somewhere I want to feed my attention? And I think we were talking about this earlier before we got on the podcast of like how much energy and availability do we actually have for tons of relationships? And as we have a bigger following or connections or all that become more discernful of where you direct your energy. So I, I love what you're saying. Cause you're like, I get drawn down this little attractive lure, but it could be women. It could be buying a new surfboard. It could be for me buying a new guitar. It's kind of the same energy is something pulling me away from here pulling me away from what I'm actually, what's, what's fulfilling and content about now. And so I'm a fan of going to that. Like what distracts me from staying here and being fulfilled by how blessed I am now where I am like in this gorgeous place we are in Santa Cruz, right? There's so much that could totally take my attention and have me feel like, wow, this is good. And yet I could easily bypass that and be in the thoughts about, is the surf going to be good when we finish this call? Like what's next for me? What, what am I going to, where am I going to go eat today? And if we can drop out of that and really be in what's here, that's me is the remedy. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you too, that there actually aren't that many people who we, I mean, I don't know. That's it's, there are a lot of people who we can connect with and there aren't at the same time. Yeah. Well, particularly relationally, sexually, it's narrow. As far as friends and people we're drawn to who are magnetic, that we resonate with conversations, there's a much bigger pool, of course. Right. Well, we ask our partners to fill more roles than any other friend, Mm. right? We want them to be our best friend and our confidant and our sexual partner and like all these different roles. We we don't ask any one friend 
to fill all those roles. I can't think of it any other friend. Like, Definitely not. And you, you're going actually in a really good direction with this. It's, it's wise to be discernful of not bringing all of our problems to our partner. That we get support outside of the relationship for where we're facing our edges at times. I mean, not to not share something, but overall, if our partner's the place where we're bringing home our complaints about our boss, it's going to diminish the sexual fire. It's going to pollute the relational field, the energy between you. And often couples will come home from work and she's been taking care of two kids and then juggling what her job is and he's been doing that and they get home and they start, you know, offloading to one another how hard it's been. Both on the triangle, you know, it's not going to work. And then is there any juice left to actually, you know, have some good sexual intimate connection? Not really. So you're going the right track here of actually I'm, I'm, I'm wise about that with myself. I don't bring everything to my partner. What's an example of that? So let's just say I'm, I'm nervous about her ring and the cost of it and some of the stresses about that financially and pulling all the things together for our wedding in August. And, you know, I'm stretched out in a lot of ways as far as what that costs to pay for all the details from the four grand photographer to the food and arrangements. And so I can presence with her maybe that I'm a little stressed about it and I can feel some tension, but it's better for me to go have a conversation with a, a good bro who can hold space or or I see a therapist or I see someone who's an ally for me and I just go, here's what I'm noticing. And if they're, if they're a real ally, they're going like, what else do you notice about it? What do you feel? And then they help me ride the wave of what's coming up for me. Cause it's basically just a little bit of fear and emotion and energy. And I can swirl it in my mind for hours or days, or I can feel the wave of it of like, you know, I have a little tightness in my gut around it. Cause I'm like, this is pretty big. The same time we're refinancing our mortgage. There's just a lot right now. And so I'm getting to be at that, but I don't go bring that all the way to my partner. So she's carrying kind of the weight with me. I'm holding it. And as a man, I'm holding it, you know, and not that I'm with, well, I'm withholding it. I'm just holding it. She, I want her to have her experience and I, I don't always bring everything there. Yeah. I was, uh, doing, uh, an improv class a couple weeks ago and there was this exercise where you ho- we hosted a party on stage. And there was the host of the party and then one person would walk through the door and they were a certain energy. So excitement would walk through the door and be like, hey, what's up, bro? So good to see you. And then uh, anger would walk through the door. And then, oh my God, the worst day. Traffic was so bad on the way over here. I stubbed my toe when I got out in the morning. And then everyone had to take on that emotion that walked through the door and then anxiety and curiosity and then each one of them would leave one by one and you would you would see the energy of the party change as each person left right brilliant it's good right absolutely love it i'm gonna steal that one go for it (laughs) and i think that when we walk in the door at the end of a of a long day we do offload those emotions onto our partner because we know that they're not going to leave us. Yeah. And that's, I call that like a lack of relational hygiene. So if, if you're coming home from work and you're carrying a bunch of shit from the day, it makes more sense for me to go, to do a quick walk around the block, you know, before I go in the house and shake and move and breathe and just change gears, get out of the revved up fourth gear, like nonstop mind details to do and go, let me change gears. And like, all right. And so I walk in, I can look my kids in the eyes and not bring, I can be with them for a moment and, and value what is working because there's always something to stress about. So I'm, a, I'm, I'm way into energetic hygiene in the sense of relationally. And it's not like you can always put everything down. But you can maybe discharge 20% or 30% of the heaviness and then come home and have a 
bit more bandwidth for connection. Yeah, I like what you're talking about, too, regarding setting time to talk about the rough stuff, because sometimes you really do need to bring it up, and it's better to bring it up sooner rather than later, but you got to make sure that they're giving you um, their full attention. Yeah, and you and that's part of relational healthy relationship too. Is when you when you're noticing they're not attentive to you, that you don't go, hey, what the fuck, man? Would you like listen to me finally? You know, versus, hey, I noticed that it doesn't seem like you're really available. Do you want to create another time, or do you need to do something and take an action before you can come back and really be with me? To me, that feels like kind of like a healthy sharpness, you know. And I think both parties should in the relationship should have a lot of space to do that and willingness to stand in that. Like, hey, I really I really ask for your full attention, and if you're not available, then we'll do it another time. Yeah. How'd you get into this? Lots of hardship. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I grew up in a broken family where my mom left my dad in the night, you know, with my brother and I, and then I ended up living with my dad and was going back and forth between the homes. And I, I was really traumatized by it. You know, my dad would go at the bars at night sometimes and, and like I'd be home alone and I'd come out and I couldn't find him, you know, and, and it left a lot of imprints in me. And so for whatever reason, going down the path of life and getting into yoga and Qigong and martial arts and life, I met a few mentors that kind of helped me heal. I had a couple older girlfriends, actually, that were like eight years older. And something about that just catalyzed some things. And and then in one of my, my when I was living here in Santa Cruz, going to acupuncture school, the relationship I got into the woman I ended up marrying with, with for 12 years, we did a few workshops together. And they were phenomenal. And one of them was Gay Katie Hendricks. And we ended up spending three years apprenticing with them and traveling all over the country doing their workshops for three years. And I resisted it so much. I wanted to go surfing, play music, do other things. And, but I also felt like I needed to grow. There was something in me that knew it was good for me. And there's another layer that had a lot of resistance. So it took me years to really get it. I was getting confronted in those and watching my defensiveness and over time, being in that relational container around couples work and, and coaching and consciousness, I started marinating with people who really inspired me. I started being around people who were more alive, more energized, authentic. And I was like, this started turning me on. Like, this is a lot more fun than being with people who kind of have this cranky edge or they're withholding something. And I started finding that I was feasting on high quality connection. And then I wanted that in my friendships. So I would start asking for it. I'd start saying, here's what I'm learning. And then we started teaching together, her and I, with the couples here in Santa Cruz on a small scale in our house. And we'd have our friends and couples come over. And it just led to this growing thing. And then I was doing acupuncture. And I'd sit with clients, you know, treating them. And I'd hear their challenges, I'd hear their stories. I'd hear their physical experiences. And I started seeing this pattern that the more someone had hardship in their relationship or with a boss and there were things they didn't communicate when I'd, you know, one of the things I like about Chinese medicine is we talk a little bit and I'd hear their journey and I wasn't just looking for their symptoms. I'd see these patterns actually that a lot of times people weren't getting well from treatments or diet changes because they had unexpressed emotions. They had incomplete conversations. They had withholds. They had um, deep seated hurts that they never got to clean up with somebody and they think they're going to get well but I realized like, wait a minute, people are not getting well because they don't have the skills to communicate more skillfully. And that's how it was for me. Digestive problems, insecurity, fears. And as I started getting more comfortable to be honest and feel and feel my anger in healthy ways, not turn it in at me or out at someone, I really grew up fast. Like something happened to me that was like this initiation. Then doing a bunch of men's work and stuff, doing the Mankind Project, and I did some long men retreats in Canada that were just, that shook me to my core. 
men who challenged me to a level like where I'm on the ground crying, scared, feeling my little boy all the way here. That kind of stuff put me through these little initiations that led me to kind of stand a little bit taller in my own being, in my heart. And then I just moved from acupuncture into doing coaching and counseling work little by little. You know, just like, okay, that this is the more alignment for me. This turns me on more than putting needles in people. Just let me up more. What do you think is the use of men's groups? You know, I find it healthy for men to simply be in a circle together and be looking each other in the eyes. That just simply like regardless of what the men's group does and what it's about, men being together and taking off the masks and the facades and some of the familiar things that we're just talking about sports or we're doing what we do and being together in a room where there's some authenticity there's some true connection, like, hey, I'm looking you in the eyes. I'm staying with you a little longer. There's some healthy elders, things like that. I think that wires something in us and feeds us in a way that's indescribable. And as I've led men's groups, even online, like I, right now I have a group of men I'm working with, 15 men all over the world in different places. And we're in this three-month journey called the Men's Passage. And the quality of connection between us, there's this thread of seeing one another that has us feel pretty close. And there's a quality of care that naturally happens when we get together to simply be with one another. And when we're being willing to share our deeper journey, the one that's below the surface, not just our successes in business and work, but like, here's where my edge is. Here's where I'm facing my shadows. Here's where I keep having the same freaking thing happen over and over and I hate it. When we're willing to show that and be seen in that and still be accepted and loved, it's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, I think that unfortunately for a lot of guys, the only times that they get to spend with other men um, turns into these kinds of pissing contests mm. where no one would dare say, you know, I've tried again and again in this aspect of my life and I keep failing. And yeah. I don't know why. And I don't have anyone to talk about it with. Yeah. Or that there is something going on. Someone's going through a divorce and they're on a, they're on, let's just say I'm on a surf trip in Big Sur with a bro a couple bros and they're on the fire and they're having a lot of feelings, but their friends are not really present with them. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. You'll get over it. You'll be all good. There'll be this kind of like band aid, like you're good, bro. Don't worry, man. You're strong. You can handle it. You'll get through this versus wow. Yeah, this is hard, man. I get it. Like you're in the fire right now and that sucks. Like dealing with your kids and like, I hear you and I'm not trying to fix you. I'm not trying to change you. I'm just, there's just a space here that I get you're going through a passage. We could use more of that. You know, whether we're hanging out around the fire on a surfing weekend or whether we're dropping in that quality of being with one another, that's what's underdeveloped in a lot of men. We'll, we'll, we'll be cool and kind and caring, you know, or, or we won't, but that doesn't often do enough than just simply being like, all right, I get you're going through something. Do you recommend any ways that a group of guys can, could do an impromptu men's group or at least ha uh, prompt a question to each other to get down into um, a more helpful space? You know, I've actually written this for a few male clients who went from working with me to wanting to kind of hold a group of men with friends. And I, I don't remember all the things I wrote down for it, but I'd say a few things are simply getting together and, and having a little honest check-in. Here's what's going on for my life. Here's my wins. Here's where I'm doing well. Here's where things are thriving. And then here's the other layer. Here's the places where, like, I'm not stoked where I'm at. Here's where I'm struggling in my relationship. Here's where I'm frustrated with my boss. And, and creating a space where we're all really with that person here in it, whether it's three men or five men or 10 men, just a little space for that. And not like, here's how you can change that. Here's how you can fix that, simply being with it. That's one layer. 
Second layer is presencing like, what are my goals and what can you guys hold me accountable to? If I have a commitment to like, I'm not going to drink anymore for a month. I've been drinking too much. I've been every night I've been trying to kind of chill myself out with alcohol instead of just chilling out and doing something else. So I'm making a commitment to not do that for, let's just say two weeks. So I can make an accountability commitment to the men I'm with and then they can check in with me. How's that going? And I can hold then. So they're holding me in that. That's another healthy thing about men's work is that we're not only making a commitment to ourselves, but we have a couple good, important men in us that are holding us to that. Right. Or I'm not going to watch porn for a week and masturbate, whatever it is, because I know it's depleting my my love for my wife or whatever. That's one. That's another layer. A second, a third layer would be what are your bigger life goals and commitments that you're moving toward that you want to have some support around? Like for you, it might be I'm, I'm growing this podcast. I'm stepping up my work in a big way and I want to have a huge impact environmentally around people taking more responsibility and these things happening. So I'm moving that direction. And here's a few of my action steps. What are measurable action steps you could take? I'm going to reach out to these three men about asking them to be on my podcast. And so your friends know that. And then the next time you get together, they're checking in. Did you follow up with this, this, and this? And if not, what's in the way of that? And you know, what, what are, how are you sabotaging what you're committed to? So that's another one where we're allies for each other in some ways with a little bit of fire, a little bit of heat. Yeah, I like going back to conflict, man. That's one thing that we're not taught in school early on is nonviolent communication. And I think it's so often that another man will confront you about something and you'll initially get into your fight, flight, or freeze yep. mode rather than being able to take it in. Yeah, we'll be defensive immediately. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about hunting groups. Yeah. Thousands of years ago where men would go out and sit around the campfire. And I'll bet you that is also wired into us on an evolutionary level to go out into these groups and have real conversations. And that's another thing that I think we're lacking right now. Yeah. And what I like about that and what I imagine to be what was so just having sat with some, you know, native indigenous cultures over the years and being that not much is said often. However, there's such a quality of stillness and presence and looking around the fire that there's something exchanged beyond words, a certain degree of respect and connection with one another that we often get into our heads and start talking and just kind of waste the moment through words. But let me add the last fourth one, I think, for a men's group, just to finish that piece, is actually spending time really appreciating and seeing one another. Because that's what we don't as men. We're often kind of joking with each other, challenging each other, kind of ripping on each other for like what you didn't do or where you messed up. And there's just like gesturing, which is really wonderful. And I'm a fan of that. And I like doing that myself. And then there's other, this other layer like where, man, Kyle, I really see you. I see how you're stepping on your life. I see what your commitments are. I see what you're choosing in your life. And for you to be able to let that in and be seen and be admired, like, like admired and honored for who you are and where you are now. That's what a lot of us are deficient into. We're so used to being challenged, made wrong, judged, not enough that we don't have men seeing where we are shining. Oh, dude, I grew up in the Santa Cruz surf culture. <sighs> yeah, man. That's the worst. Uh, well, it's, I think that in a lot of ways, it's, it was good because it taught me how to give and take heckles. And there is a kind of bonding that can happen with friends where if, like, if I cut you down in a joking way it means i like you but i think that you can take it too far and the result is that um it flattens kids personalities because they're afraid to go do anything that they might get called a fag for 
And if I say, hey, man, I really respect what you're doing in this aspect of your life. Um, if you say that in a group, people like, you're gay, you know, and I, and it's just beaten into us from a young age. And I have a really solid group of friends now. Mm-hmm. And I think we're really good at giving each other honest compliments when it is true. And it's like, um, it's like a nourishing veggie meal when you get that from other guys. I'm with you. You know, one of the things, that's what a healthy elder does in the community is they approve or disapprove of men's actions. And in a really healthy culture or community, we have so much respect for our elders. Like just say you're a professional musician, you want the best musician to see you, right? So there's something about being seen by those men that are older, been around the block a little more, more mature, giving you a blessing for, oh, look, you're on the path or not. And then in, just in, a, in another culture, just having one of the older men give you that look would actually humble and straighten you up a little bit. You know, it's interesting because one of my one of my least favorite memories of my, you know, in high school being in Santa Cruz, riding my bike by Stockton Avenue with my board going to Swift Street to surf, having a group of guys pull over next to me and who the fuck are you? Where do you think you're going? They thought I was going to paddle out Stockton, I think, or something. And man, it shook me the bone. I thought they were all going to jump out of the car and start hitting me right there, you know, and who knows if they were or not. But I remember I had many different moments like that, whether it was like walking a three mile on a pretty big day or that. But that one left an impression in me that was like, I just lost respect for those men. But also I'm not, there was this fear then of those kind of men. I don't feel that now. Enough of me would look them in the eyes and feel a little different. But then as a little, you know, 15 year old, that was like... That was rough, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of that here. Yeah, there's a lot of it, and I, you know, I around. We don't need to go too deep down the local localism <laughs> thread, but I do think that there is something that we can tie back to it, which is that there is an element of getting into an environment and having a certain respect for yes. that new environment. And I think that the martial arts community has that really dialed. When you go mm-hmm. into a dojo and you meet a black belt, there is a respect that you give. Um, and if you are a surfer who's new to a spot, you should give respect. Um, but I think that a lot of times people can take it too far and they just look to pick a fight because they don't have much power in other aspects of their lives. I'm really with you. And having you know, been living now in Hawaii for five years on Maui, I've gone through these layers with, with some, a few local run-ins out in the water, you know, and I've had some ones that were really not pretty. I've had some ones where simply making contact with someone, the, the respect was acknowledged and then it just totally changed. And there was this like brother friendship that happened pretty soon into it, you know, and I've had a few times like that that were really meaningful. And I have a few times where obviously I can't, I can't cross that bridge where the white man has been such an, you know, so irresponsible and disrespectful on so many layers that it's, it goes deep, right? And around the world, but in Hawaii it's strong. Right. But you get that. And that's why I always have to be nuanced in my conversations around localism, because when people come up to me, they are usually on the side of victim Mm -hmm. and I've just seen seen so many novice surfers blow it and be dangerous in the lineup and just have zero respect for the fact that they're in a completely new environment um, that I, I I'm always in this rough position. Where I'm like, yeah, but you kind of blew it. And yeah. also I grew up around uh, a lot of people who were picking fights. I'm so with you and I've seen the same where I've had to ask people to get out of the water because they're not safe with what they're doing and they're in the wrong lineup in a place that's really not appropriate and so I'm with you and when you're young too I was a little high school kid 
you don't same have the same air for awareness there, you know, versus you and I now. And maybe when you're a little older, you start realizing like, oh, this is appropriate. This isn't right. But you're right. Every place, every place demands respect. And and similarly, taking it back to relationships, being able to confront people in a way that is healthy is a real skill because you can. You know, if if someone is out in the water in waves that are way too big for them, there's a way to come up to them and be like, hey, man, this is not a good day for you to be out here. And you're going to catch way more waves if you go down that way. And that whole group of guys that are paddling out right now are going to be way meaner than I am. Like, And I've had a lot of success yeah. when it go, when I'm able to kind of lay out my intention in the interaction. And I think that Oh, there's some metaphor there for relationships. I'm going to let you take it from here. <laughs> well, you started that with, you're right, there's actually healthy, the ability to give feedback in a way that doesn't make someone wrong. That's I would call that really good leadership, is that I can, you know, I can call somebody on something that may be out of alignment or is it doesn't have respect. Like in, you know, in Hawaii they say it's pono, you know, that's an, it's an alignment, it's, it's right action. And there's a lot of that not happening. Like even in Hawaii, you walk tourists, they're coming out with cameras. They don't even look at the earth. Are there any waterfalls to see way back in there? Like, was there anything to see? Is it worth it? And I'm like looking, what does it look like now? It's already phenomenal. (laughs) There's a sense of like not being connected. And I think actually one of our roles is to snap us out of this trance where we live behind a camera versus we live in our heart or in our gut and being able to meet what's actually happening and meet somebody and look in them in the eyes and feel them. And I believe this is one of the things that will happen as the evolving masculine happens. There's so much heat on men right now all over from the women's work and in multiculturally and so many levels of this new level of responsibility. And I think the responsibility is that we're coming to be able to respond to what's going on more fully. So if I'm in a crowd of men and they start talking about how hot the woman is over there with disrespect, I'm likely to say something. Like, hey, you guys, I'm not really interested in that kind of conversation. Is that really what you want? You know, and I just, I don't want to participate in that level anymore. So I'm going to go or you guys want to change it. And I think that you, we're all being asked maybe to meet what's going on, whether that's watching a guy throw his unlit cigarette or, you know, his unput out cigarette out in the forest right in front of you. It's like, hey, what's up with that? Whatever it is, I think part of us as men, that's the healthy challenge, you know, the healthy warrior. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine uh, who's a former UFC fighter named Kyle Kingsbury, and he's done a lot of interpersonal work, too. I have a ton of respect for him. And he was saying that he feels like a lot of men um, who can't physically defend themselves um, have this kind of neuroses and it comes out in them trying to posture in other aspects of their life and gain power in other aspects of their lives because deep down they know that there's nothing that they can do if someone comes at them. So true. You know, I was last, um, spring, I was doing a men's retreat with a man named Trevor, who was a past UFC fighter. And we went at five in the morning to go surf Makaha. We got there, it was just first light, and this um, local bro was walking his dog, and we got out of the car, and he's like, what are you guys doing here? And Trevor started petting his dog, he's like, don't touch my dog. The guy ended up headbutting my bro Trevor right there in the morning, boom, knocked him. Trevor could have probably killed this guy right there in the moment. Trevor didn't do anything. He got up, he like stopped, looked at the guy, like we, he's like, let's go. I was shocked, I thought for sure he would just take him out. He's like, it's, it's, less, it's not even six in the morning, I'm not gonna grapple with a guy on the ground. So we left and we were both kind of shaking. We were really heated by it. Like, well, we're looking for another surf spot going further out. We came back and I was like, you know what? Let's go out anyway. I don't care. I'm going to go. 
And, and so we brought our hand planes out and we did some hand planes instead of our boards. And we were out there and surfed and came in and the guy who did it came back up with his board. We're like, oh no, let's get it. Trevor's like, let's get out of here. And I'm like, I don't know. And the guy came, was like, hey, 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 hey. And I'm like, oh no, you know, he ran up to our window. He actually apologized. You guys, I'm sorry. You guys are cool. That was, that was actually good of you to like, you know, you heard me, you came out with hand planes. That was cool. But what blew me away was Trevor right along that is a massive fighter, really powerhouse, amazing guy. He just chose not to go down that route and wield that power. And he was so grounded himself and able to endure what happened and not take it. I was, I learned a powerful lesson because in my mind, I would have wanted to hurt that guy. And I was very impressed. And it was a very powerful lesson for me that he didn't. Yeah. And knowing that you have that choice, I've talked to a few friends of mine who are really good at um, various disciplines in, in martial arts. And they say, just knowing that you have the choice and that you could act um, gives you a sense of ease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I believe that one of the fastest ways we'll all evolve is if we are really knowing how to show up in relationship more consciously and skillfully. It's like the constant place that we have a growth edge. And I'm a big fan. It's like my mission to see all of us continue to show up more fully in a way that has us more fulfilled for our own selves. Often we think, oh, maybe I'll do it better so my wife or my partner will be more happy with me and more comfortable. But I'm more into like, what would have, how would it feel for me if I showed up more fully for the relationship? How would I feel more fulfilled that I'm taking the action, the initiative, right? If I want to be better as a musician or a, an athlete in any direction, I have this self-motivation to want to to wanna really improve and show up so that I get more out of it. I'm more fulfilled. Not because I want to sound better as a musician and have more people like me. It's because I'm more fulfilled by generating songs and music. Relationally, I think we, we want to add the same concept. I don't want to just stop because things are kind of good. I actually want to be like one thing I appreciate about you, Kyle, is that there's this willingness to go. I want to show up better. I have a great relationship with my partner and I want to be even more skillful when things come up and know how to communicate more, you know, with more intentionality in a way that works. And so for anybody listening, it's worth investing in becoming highly skilled at relationship because it's the one thing you're going to have for the rest of your life. You're going to have either children, friends, parents, a beloved. And the more fulfilled you are relationally with them, more comfortable in yourself, more relaxed, more able to be authentic and open, the more easeful and enjoyable all of your relationships will be. Right on, man. Well, where can people get in touch with you? I have my website is shemsheartwell.com. And actually, my partner and I are about to lead a two-month couples course online that's pretty affordable and awesome called Empowered Loving. So if you go to my website, you'll see couples course in there and you can find out all about me that way. Thank you, Shems. Thank you, Kyle. That's our show. I'm going to play you out with a song called Three Foot Tires and Rising by a band called Oppo. These guys listened to the podcast and they sent me some tunes. If you are a musician and you want your music played to the end of the show, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. That's info at kyle.surf, and I would love to play it. I will link to your band page in the show notes. Once again, thank you so much to everyone who donates on patreon uh even just a few bucks a month allows me to travel all over and get these interviews for you and keep this podcast ad free if you liked this interview and you want to listen to more like it i recommend going back and checking out my podcasts with amy baldwin she is a sex and relationship coach and i think i've had her on the podcast at least three times now and she is wonderful each and every time very clear thinker she is 
Uh, finally, I was recently a guest on the Human Optimization podcast with Kyle Kingsbury. Uh, he is the guy who runs on it. They flew me out to Austin, Texas. So I will link to that podcast in the show notes below, and uh, you can listen to me get interviewed if you're interested. All right. Much love. Um, get out in the water. Give someone a high five. Help make someone's day a little bit better. And I will see you next week with an interview with uh, Adam Skolnick, who is a Lonely Planet playboy and New York Times journalist. Much love. See you soon.
saw the ice packs slipping in the sea Put a new jack fence on the ocean in the trees We own a street near Hollywood and Vine Got three foot ties, the ocean's rising on Float down Vine with my three foot ties, oh yeah Most times, most of my rides Come in three foot ties, oh yeah Many, many, most times, most of my rides Come in three 